Hello and welcome to the Flying Frisbee podcast with me, Dominic Frisbee. And this time last year, I received an email from a gentleman in New Orleans asking me if I would like to go out to New Orleans to speak at their gold conference that year. And never having been to New Orleans and having heard that it is... Uh, my, my friend used to write travel books and he said that New Orleans, of all the places he'd been to in the world, New Orleans was the best. And having heard that, I thought, yes, I would like to go to New Orleans. And I'm delighted to say that my speech was so good, I've been invited back there this year. And the man uh, who invited me, I'm speaking to now, his name is Brian Lundeen, and he writes the Gold Newsletter, and he organises the New Orleans Conference. And Brian, thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for coming on the show. And I suppose let's start by talking about the New Orleans Conference, uh, what it is, how long it goes on for who you've got speaking, all that kind of thing. The, the roster of guests you've got speaking this year is is phenomenal. Well, thank you, Dominic. Great to be with you. And and absolutely, certainly your speech and your presentations on our panels uh, last year was so great that we wanted to invite you <laughs> back again. But I think it's also fair to say that you enjoyed your experience in New Orleans, both for the city and the conference. That, If I remember correctly, you practically begged to be invited back. But we already made the decision to invite you back because your quality of your content was so good. Um, but yet this, people don't realize, I find it that a lot of people don't realize, but the New Orleans Investment Conference is actually the oldest uh, investment conference in the world today, ongoing every year uh, that has not been interrupted by a hurricane. But every year since 1974, this is our 49th year. And we've had some remarkable speakers grace our stage over the years. We've had Ayn Rand in her last public performance or public uh, presentation. Uh, we've had Lady Margaret Thatcher speak. We've had uh, Yelton Friedman, F.A. Hayek, uh, Alan Greenspan, Barry Goldwater, um, yada, yada. The list goes on and on and on. And now and Dominic Frisbee. And now Dominic Frisbee, we're putting you right up there. We're trying to decide before or after Lady Thatcher in the list. Uh, <laughs> would appreciate your input on that, by the way. Um, but yeah, it is uh, it it is an an event, an experience, as I know you now know, that has to be really experienced to be understood. And it's a wonderful gathering in New Orleans, a great city. A uh, great feeling of camaraderie, uh, an intellectual energy in the uh, the atmosphere, and a lot of wonderful speakers that you get the chance to actually meet in the halls, uh, socialize with, and and ask your questions. These days, I have steered clear from a lot of the big political speakers and are trying to to fill out the speaker roster with some bench strength of what I think are some of the more remarkable analysts out there today. You know. One of the things I think about a lot is that we are in extraordinary times. You know, none of this, the stuff that's going on today is normal at all. And yet the talking heads on the financial uh, media and news shows talk about it like it is, but nothing that we're going through today is normal. And I think that extraordinary times bring out extraordinary people to try to explain them. And we've seen that through social media, through Twitter slash X. There's a lot of great thinkers out there. And I read everything, I watch everything, I know who's good and who isn't, and I've gotten just about everybody out there that I think is the best at what they do. Um, 
you know, if I could go over some of the speakers. Yeah, uh, please do. I just want to ask you, why have you avoided the political stuff? Well, it, it's everything has gotten so um, everybody's entrenched in their own ruts politically, either one or the other. And I find that if I get a political speaker, I, I enthrall 50 percent of my audience and piss off the other 50 percent. You know, everything people think that ideas are bullets these days or slaps in the face that anyone espousing a particular point of view uh, is almost literally a physical affront um, and in, you know, in an assault. And in that kind of an atmosphere, the, from a political end, although we do feature a lot of uh, libertarian viewpoints, we do focus and have always focused over the decades on personal liberty, sound money, a lot of the uh, viewpoints and approaches that I think your audience would appreciate. <laughs> um, and, and as you can see, and, and as you can gather from our speaker list, you know, it, it is a mu very much a libertarian bit of conservative political viewpoint. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really divisive these days. It's amazing what you get that even those who preach to the choir, if they have one note out of tune, uh, you know, they're, they're pilloried. So it's, it hasn't been, um, uh, I think very helpful to our attendance, uh, in recent years. I've uh, got you. So t tell us who, who, some of the speakers that you've got. Well, so is Dave Collum coming this year? Dave Collum will be there. Uh, we're calling him the mayor of the green room. He tends to plop himself in a chair in the green room behind the stage and, and, uh, and have his, you know, and talk to all the speakers and anybody who comes in. Sometimes I have to get out of the green room just to clear my head because it's amazing the the tsunami of intellectual, um, energy that comes from. <laughs> yeah. You see, I had no idea who he was. And yeah. I've watched his speech and I thought, God, this guy's great. Yeah. And then I met him in the green room and he's all full of praise for my speech, which obviously you like to hear. Yeah. And then we got talking and I, I just absolutely loved him. And then um, I got back to England and a guy I know, Tim Price, who writes quite a popular newsletter over here, was going, I just love this guy, Dave Collum. He's released his annual letter. It's the best thing you could possibly read. And I was like, I was on a stage with him two weeks ago. Yeah. So I, I was quite, he was quite jealous of that. Yeah, he's absolutely brilliant and, uh, like I say, sometimes overwhelming because he'll have very controversial opinions and he will back it up with evidence to three decimal places. So it's it's really really enlightening uh, to, to even just to talk with him. So yeah, Dave is coming and we've got him in a great panel. We've got him in a presentation and, you know, he roams the halls and just fascinating. He's worth the price of admission all by himself. Yeah, uh, Rick Rule. Rick Rule will be there. Rick Rick is a regular, has been for decades, and is, as I know you know, is is renowned as probably the the foremost speculator in resource stocks that uh, the world's ever seen. So Rick actually retired from his brokerage, so he's no longer regulated and under any regulatory umbrellas. So he's very freewheeling and free speaking these days. He's the unmuzzled Rick Rule and. Uh, and, and that's worth seeing uh, as well. I had uh, I had a great moment of pride last year, Brian, because I went to lunch with Brent Cook. Yeah. I sat there and, and Rick Rule walked into the restaurant and uh, Brent said, oh, Rick, do you want to come and have lunch with join us for lunch? 
So yeah. I was like very excited, number one, to meet Rick. And then Brent and I were talking about this tin stock that we own. Uh, sorry, Rick and I were talking. Brent and I were. Rick and I started talking about this tin stock that we we realised we both own in Democratic uh, Republic of Congo DRC yeah. Alpha Min, and we started talking about the grades and the potential. And we just saw Brent secretly writing down the name of the stock on a napkin. So that yeah. was uh, that was quite a nice little thrill for us. Great promote. Always be promoting. <laughs> Always be talking your own book, Dominic. Uh, yeah, Rick. Rick is another one of those. But he's so smart, um, you know, and he's a longtime friend of mine over decades. But still, he blows me away. It's hard to keep up with him. He's he's so smart on so many different topics, especially in in the metals and the resource industry. Um, you know, I've got Matt Taibbi coming. Uh, I think he is the most important journalist of our generation. Yeah, exposing with the the Twitter files and exposing governmentship yeah. efforts with COVID and the like. Um, I've got. Uh, I couldn't uh, believe how those Twitter files got ignored. Some of the stuff he was coming out with, it's outrageous, unbelievable. This you know censorship by omission of mm -hmm. so many things in the the media today, and and that makes you know alternative media like your podcast, like our conference. It makes it so much more important these days because it's the only place you can really, you know, get countering views and make up your own mind. Mm -hmm. and, and we're focusing on well thought out views. You know, while we're talking about, uh, I'm just looking down my list of speakers. I was very happy. I've got Constantin Kizen coming. Really? Yeah. And not a lot of people on this side of the pond really know who he is. Um, and as I'm explaining it to people, I'm, I said, well, we have a stand-up comic from Britain, Constantine Kids, and then we have, oh, there's Dominic Frisbee. There's another stand-up comic from Britain. I feel like having my own panel. If you can suggest some others, maybe, maybe I'll do that. It's not too late. I, I had my birthday party last week, and Constantine was there. I've never met him. I'm supposed to talk to him, I think, later this week um, in a call somewhere, or a podcast similar to this. But yeah, I was very impressed with of course, that speech uh, at the Oxford Union and, yeah. and a lot of other things he's done. So, they're very happy to get him. Oh well, I'll as soon as this call's over, I'm going to text him. Good, good. Tell him I'm a good guy, and it's a great event. I, I think he had to look at our website to kind of convincing because, again, you know, not that many people know who we are, despite the, all the time we've been in the business. Okay, I will do. I mean, Constantine is so articulate and he's so centered. Um, and but he's he's more on the from the sort of political free speech, um, that side of the argument than he is from the financial uh, side of the argument. But he is so articulate. Well, I don't know if you realize it, but I have him, Matt Taibbi, and you on our geopolitical panel uh, this year. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm delighted. You're going to have a great time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we cover macroeconomics, we cover geopolitics, we drill down to the various asset classes. But on the macroeconomic end of it, we've got some extraordinary speakers. We've got uh, Jim Rickards, we've got Danielle DiMartino Booth, George Gammon, uh, uh, Brent Johnson. We have Lynn Alden in person. Oh, yeah. And she, I think she's the best. Uh, not only out there today, but I think she's one of the best analysts I've ever seen in 
all my years in the industry, and she rarely does public appearances, so she will be there uh, in person this year. She's great. She's just written a new book, hasn't she? Yeah, she has, and I have it sitting on my bed, staying in my stack of (laughs) books awaiting to be read, but um, but I'm looking forward to that. She really is remarkable. We have Peter Bookbard coming. Uh, I think he's one of the best analysts out there. He's kind of the resident contrarian on CNBC. We have Jim Stack, who's a longtime friend of mine, who has accurately predicted every bubble, every bust, and every bull market over the last, I'd say, 40 years. He's just the most accurate analyst and market forecaster I've ever seen. What's he saying now? Uh, he is predicting, I, I think he's got the, the warning flags out right now, uh, okay. which I think are, are um, you know, pretty accurate as far as I can see. Uh, we have Peter Schiff. We have Jim Arorio, who Jim Arorio used to be on CNBC, and I think he's he's a bit of a um, uh, how should I put it? He, he doesn't hold his tongue. Uh, so now he moved from CNBC to Fox Business, and uh, where he's a little bit more free wielding. Free wheeling. We have Tavi Costa coming he's another brilliant analyst has uh especially in the resource space but macroeconomics as well um james lavish uh a lot of people don't know of him but if you look up him on twitter you'll see some really remarkable threads explaining very deep macroeconomic topics in very clear you know cogent fashion so he's i'm very happy we got him i think he's going to be a big hit uh, we've got Adam Taggart coming to to direct some of our panels, and then just dozens and dozens of analysts in the resource space, metals and mining, um, and you know really every other ass, uh, asset class out there. Oh, so, and how does how does Brian? How does one if we want to come? What do we do? What's the what's the procedure? Well, I believe that you have a link of your own. Uh, that you can get people in your show notes or whatever. But other than that, it's simply neworleansconference.com is easy way to get us. It's very uh, easy to find. Okay, I'll put a link in the description, folks. If you're watching, I'll put a link in the description. Yeah, and, and, you know, you'll get all the details of uh, the agenda, the speakers, the history of the event, uh, what we're going to cover, and... um, and, you know, one of the big advantages of, of this event is New Orleans itself. It's a lot of fun. We try to bring the the city, the ambiance, and the unique entertainment and uh, cuisine of New Orleans into the conference, but you also get the chance to go out and, uh, and experience it yourself. What a great city, and that's one of the most underrated things about the city. Obviously, everywhere you go, you listen to music every Every few steps you take, there's some new guy playing brilliant music just on the street. But also, the food is so good. Oh, yeah, my goodness. The food is a great attraction. We kind of take it for granted here, but people come from all over the world. And you know, on the music, uh, the artists that live here go overseas and they'll play to packed crowds and, you know, five, 10,000 seat theaters. And then they'll come to New Orleans and they'll be in a bar where there's 20 people you know, in the audience. Um, it, it's amazing to me how, um, you know, I guess we take it for granted here, but they have to come to New Orleans as kind of their touchstone and they live here and they love it. And the, 
you know, and, and they, then they bring that experience around the world and everybody else appreciates them. What well, our closing. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Ed. You never be, I don't know if you've ever been, but it reminds me a lot of Edinburgh during the festival that everywhere you go, there's street performers and entertainment and stuff going on. Reading what you've written about that. I am dying to go to that. That just sounds absolutely spectacular. It's great, but it's only one month a year. It's not all year round like New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. New Orleans is all year around. And, you know, on the music end of it as well, at our closing reception, we feature James Rivers, who's a guy who's uh, in his 80s now, but he can play anything that you can blow wind into. Uh, he plays Amazing Grace on the bagpipes, and, and if you if it doesn't bring tears to your eyes, you have no soul. Uh, I swear, it's, it's unbelievable. It's transcendental. And I have gotten him for the past few years, and I am getting him as long as he can play, but that's a real un overlooked feature, I think, of our event, is just to see him. He's actually Clint Eastwood's favorite musician. He wrote the score for uh, Bridges of Madison County uh, and uh, some other uh, stuff for uh, for his movies. But he's really, at his age, he's one of the most underappreciated and relatively undiscovered musicians out there. And you can see him at the New Orleans Investment Conference. Oh, wow. You don't know this, but last year I actually sneaked off and did a comedy gig <laughs> while I was there. Really? Yeah. I went into some open spot night and did, there weren't many people in. There was only like 15 or 20 in the audience, but really? I went off and sneaked off and did a gig. How was it? It was good. It was, it was like, it was just like doing a sort of pub gig in, in the UK, really. It was kind of a little bit out. It wasn't in the, t in the main center. It was a little bit out, but uh, yeah, it was, it was great fun to do. Well, you know, our speaker coordinator, Alex, um, Goldfinger used to book comedy acts and that was, you know, before we hired him to coordinate our speakers, he was uh, corralling uh, comedians. So I think he he appreciated <laughs> the relative calmness of his current job. But but he's done some, I believe, some stand up comedy. And you must have talked to him about that. I think. Yeah, I didn't know he'd done that. But but having dealt with him and seeing how good he was at it, at that, it doesn't surprise me that that's what he used to do. Yeah. So let's talk about and the 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 the, the I was going to say the festival the the conference goes on for four days is that right yeah. four days starts on a Wednesday afternoon and runs through Saturday evening with our gala closing reception and it is packed full of content seven o'clock in the morning till nine o'clock at night uh, you can always find something that's really enlightening and and really brilliant analysis in the markets uh, and a lot of entertainment and social events and and opportunities to mingle with the fellow attendees because it attracts hundreds of really successful, self-directed investors, really smart people from primarily North America, but but really from around the world. And uh, that alone, I think, is is worth the price of admission. Just the the your fellow attendees and sharing ideas. Yeah, I was really impressed with, like, sometimes when you go to conferences where there's a lot of uh, junior companies, junior mining companies, especially, um, you know, there's there's a sort of history, if you like, of of not such good behaviour by junior mining companies, misleading investors, and that kind of thing. And I was impressed just listening to some of the questions that got got asked. I remember thinking, "Oh, you know what you're talking about." A few times, and I remember thinking, "Oh, y y your your audience was pretty clued up." 
Yeah, they are. We're getting some newbies to the sector, uh, which is encouraging to me because we're getting people who have come over from crypto. Of course, we cover crypto a bit. We're getting people who come over from the uh, from real estate investing uh, that aren't really familiar with metals mining. They're really the role of gold and silver, how to buy it, how to invest, and then how to leverage these trends in the mining stocks. And I, I tell people that a company that's exhibiting at the New Orleans Investment Conference, because it's not a cattle call, there's not thousands of people uh, coming up to a company's booth to get a free pin, you know, or, or something else, um, and walking by, that the companies that are exhibiting are going to have conversations with real people who know what they're doing. And because of that, because they're going to have less conversations, but better conversations, it's kind of an acid test to the companies themselves. Just by going to the New Orleans conference, they, they separate themselves from the pack. They, they demonstrate that it's a smart company, that it's well-run, and they can respond to tough questions. They have the answers to those questions because that's what they're going to get from our attendees. So that the quality is really there, um, both from the attendee standpoint and the uh, exhibiting company. Good stuff. Okay. Now, Brian, um, moving on, you know, it seemed like gold and silver, it's so many... Um, Frustrating. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's I can't even articulate it, but so many roads, so many signs are saying gold and silver at the moment. And gold and silver themselves are doing okay. They're sort of going sideways up a little bit and down a little bit. But the, the miners are just entrenched. And if I look at the miners versus gold over the last two or three years, the, 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 the miners haven't only lagged gold, they've actually fallen where gold has gone up. Yeah. Um, how do you explain that? Is this, gonna, is this a, the eternal rut that they're in? Is this going to change? What, what do you make of it all? Well, I'm a bit more optimistic than you, um, you know, I think not just personality-wise, but based on the evidence as well. The uh, you know markets don't care, investors don't care what the price of anything is. You know we we have pretty healthy prices, especially for gold right now historically. But the markets don't care about where the price is; they care about where it's going. And we have not had a consistent uptrend. We've teased and a breakout to all-time highs of the past couple of years. We've actually put in a triple top on the gold price right below the, the all-time record of around, I guess, 2063 or so on the spot price. Um, but we're not, we haven't broken through yet. Now, from a technical standpoint, and I'm not a really accomplished market technician, but this is pretty obvious to me and anyone else that we formed a big cup and saucer, uh, uh, cup and handle formation technically. And the triple top has actually is forming the handle part of that cup. Now, if you extend that uh, from a technical standpoint, it projects to a price somewhere above $3,000 in the gold price, which sounds great, but that's only about a 33% gain from current levels. Um, and and that bespeaks to another thing that I tell people and why I think this is really a generational opportunity in the metals, but especially in the junior mining stocks. Because, you know, if you look at the last time that the, the mining stocks were as bombed out as they are now, as cheap as they, they are right now, was in the 1999-2000 uh, the double bottom in gold. 
Now, back then, gold bottomed at $252 an ounce because central banks were selling it hand over fist. The Bank of England, you know, most notably so. Um, and so the, the metal sprites was at rock, rock bottom. And of course, so were the mining stocks. Now, it took a couple of years of sustained uptrend, of sustained uptrend in the gold price for the mining stocks really started going. And then we had about a decade of just tremendous, really life-changing gains in the junior mining stocks. Today, the mining stocks are as bombed out as they were back then, but gold is within about 7 or 8% of an all-time high. So today, I don't think we need two years of an uptrend to get the mining stock started. I think we need about two weeks, literally just that for really for a couple of reasons the, 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 the mining stock sector is, you know, speculators rush to it when the macro picture is right and the metals prices are rising. So you get this fear of missing, of missing out, uh, factoring in, and then it really responds quickly. But, if gold puts in a couple of weeks of, a, of an uptrend, which I think it will fairly soon, it will be predicting the next big thing from the Fed. And that next big thing is going to be rate cuts because this rate hiking cycle has peaked. Uh, and I think gold, I think the bond market, I think they're kind of feeling ahead and getting ready or starting to price in that essential fact that we're not going higher or much higher and the next big development is going to be downward in interest rates driven by central banks. Are you sure? Why do you say that? Well, I don't know why I say that other than the fact, I mean, I don't know what the precipitating event will be. I think there's lots of candidates out there, but it is just the rhythm of the markets. It's the rhythm of the central bank uh, fueled markets. You know, we, we've had since the early 1980s, the markets have been increasingly driven by central bank policies that were not just easy money, but ever easier money. So they always lowered rates, interest rates to ever lower levels. 2008 came along, they went straight to rock bottom, and then they came up with quantitative easing and TARP and a lot of other uh, acronyms and programs. Then came COVID, and they did everything they did for the great financial crisis, but to a much greater degree and much more quickly, and really multiplied those efforts. So the way things are happening now, they will have another crisis, one really spawned by central bank policy uh, at some point, and then they will have to revert to the same old script, the same prescription. They will have to come out with easy money that's not just easy, but so much easier so much more dramatic, with so much more shock and awe than what they did before, that it's just going to blow your mind. Um, now, what will drive that? Will it be the uh, the recession that you know seems likely uh, down the road? I think it won't be just a uh, ordinary recession, a run of the mill recession that'll push them to do that. I think it's going to be pretty extreme. I think the Fed wants a recession wants to kill off that that labor market in the U.S. Um, but they'd better be, be careful what they ask for because there's a lot of factors out there, primarily corporate debt resetting at far, far higher rates that, uh, that I think could make bring on a recession that's much deeper 
and uh, much more dramatic than anything they're expecting. You know, and there are a lot of other things. There's the rekindling of the banking crisis. That seems very possible. Um, there's a soaring cost of servicing the federal debt. You know, we're paying about a trillion dollars in interest right now on a gross basis to service the federal debt. Uh, I think that's kind of a tipping point. I, I don't think that rates can remain this high for much longer without really uh, cratering the federal budget. I mean, it's already eclipsed. Uh, defense spending in the U.S. It is just about the single largest line item in the budget right now, just interest on the federal debt. Um, let me uh, describe something to you and see what you make of it. Um, in the 1930s, gold stocks did extremely well. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons for that is that it was illegal for Americans to own gold. Exactly. So the next best thing was owning Homestake or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. In the 1970s, Americans couldn't own gold until 1975. So the, again, the next best thing in the early part of the decade was gold stocks. And then if they wanted gold and leverage, again, the best thing was gold stocks. Yeah. But in, in the noughties, after about 2005, we got GLD, the ETF, we also got the invention of gold money, bullion vault, gold core, pure gold company, all those um, places where you could buy gold online and store it. There were also options, futures, uh, various kinds of warrants, CFD, spread bets. There were all sorts of different ways by which you could play the gold price. Yeah. And there were so many ways to play the gold price that the, the miners, you were like, well, why, why do I need to take any kind of company risk? So that all drew capital away from the gold miners. What are the gold? What is going to draw capital back to the gold miners? Yeah, I think that's a great point, and and one I've made as well that there's so many different ways to leverage that macro trend. You know, I I tell people you need to invest. You need to own gold and silver as wealth insurance. So you have an insurance aspect of it. But the if you think the macro picture argues for much higher metals prices then you need to go to the junior or the mining stocks as uh, to, to leverage that macro trend. Um, but we've seen the emergence, and not just crypto, which is not obviously directly related to, to metals prices, but is a way to speculate. Yeah, that's it, certainly drawn speculative capital away as well. Yeah, and, and I think that's what the majority of the, the uh, demand that is drawn from gold has been speculative. And that's a way to to leverage the overall, the broader trend of depreciating currencies. Um, so yeah, that, but also, you know, ETFs, you can, you can buy the ETFs and the, uh, uh, the, the, the physical trust uh, on leverage, on margin. Uh, mm -hmm. You can also buy ETFs like Nugget or Dust, either way, they give you 2x leverage on a gold price move. And you can buy those on margin so you can really lever up. The, uh, so there has been some real competition. I, I think I go back to that FOMO thing that I talked about, that a lot of these trends of, uh, in the producers have, have uh, prompted or incented the producers to invest less in uh, exploration and development so that you have a supply crunch now because you have about 15 years of really low uh, investment in the industry in exploring and developing new deposits. So you have supply crunch coming up. 
you also have a demand uh, 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 curve coming up that's very steep, not just for gold and silver for monetary reasons, but also for a lot of the base metals for, for many other reasons like uh, EVs and electrification of, of transportation, et cetera. So that, I think, is going to demand much higher metals prices and the mining stocks will be forced to rise. And I think at a at a rate that's going to exceed what you can get from these alternative investments. These alternative options came about when during periods when you really weren't getting mining stocks that were doubling and tripling in price, as we've seen in the early 2000s, or juniors that were going up 10 or 20 times in price, as we've seen on occasion, and actually in the early 2000s fairly frequently. So once you get those kinds of gains going, I think it's actually going to bring in more speculative demand from these other sectors uh, because of that fear of missing out. You know, word gets around pretty quickly. And when when a rising tide is lifting all boats and therefore mitigating your downside and you're getting some of these companies that are going up four or five, ten times in, in value, that naturally attracts money. And there's more money out there today than there was back then in the old days and more money looking for that kind of leverage. So I, I think as with just about everything in the space, higher prices solve a lot of problems and rising yeah. prices solve a lot of problems. A bull market's going to cause a bull market. Yeah. Yeah, it will. It will to the, to the point where it creates a bear market, you know, <laughs> at the high prices are the father of uh, bear markets and, and vice versa. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, you know, thanks very much for coming on the show and thanks very much for sharing your wisdom. Uh, why don't you give out your website address one more time? As I say, I'll put a link to it uh, yeah. in the description, but give it out orally as well. It is neworleansconference.com. Neworleansconference.com. Very simple. Good stuff. And do you want to plug your newsletter as well? I'll plug anything and everything that I have for sale, Dominic. Thank you. Yeah, Gold Newsletter. Gold Newsletter is the oldest precious metals advisory in the world. It was actually started on the day that Nixon closed the gold window in 1971 by my late mentor, Jim Blanchard. Uh, and that is goldnewsletter.com. And we cover metals, mining, macro, and mining stocks. Great stuff. Well, Brian London, thanks so much for talking to me. And I will see you in about a month and a half. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Dominic.